This morning, we are going to be opening our Bibles to Acts chapter 11, and we've been in a series that is titled Spread, Spread, and the subtitle of this series, I love it, it is How to Live When You No Longer Have Home Court Advantage, and Home Court Advantage represents um, so much, uh, it obviously didn't represent too much for the Houston Rockets last night as the Thunder beat them on their home court, come on somebody, I'm pumped up, uh, anyway. Uh, sounds like, like two people watched the game. Cool. Great. Awesome. Uh, way to represent your team, everybody. No. Anyway, uh, so a home court advantage, man, we need people cheering us on in life. And sometimes it doesn't always feel like that, right? Sometimes it feels like, man, there's not anybody cheering me on when I'm in the depths and the darkness of my life, when I'm going through a hard season, maybe when it just feels like I'm a little outnumbered, right? This could be in our life, through our work, through the places that we spend our time. This could maybe you're in a season where you're trying to push through school and it feels like, man, Obstacle after obstacle. It feels like no one is for me, but I love it because God has designed for us to be people that thrive in the midst of opposition, right? And it's, a, it's amazing because you see this thing called the church, this small little cult of people that were like, this dude claimed he resurrected from the dead and actually did it, that, that they were outnumbered by the society during that time. But God gave these people a specific game plan. We can learn so much from the early church, and we're going to look in, as you turn to Acts chapter 11, which the book of Acts is the story of the early church, these outnumbered group of people that explodes and multiplies to what we know as the church of Jesus today, a couple billion people. How did this happen? Their backs were against the wall. How did this happen? And we see this, this, this design of what God put in store for his people as a strategy of being people that spread that spread out, that understand that God is on our side. God gives us a purpose in the midst of what sometimes feels like opposition or being outnumbered. And specifically, I named the, the, the message this morning this, uh, Convinced by God. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of this message is Convinced by God because I just truly believe this. There's a lot of different pressures in our society that try to convince us of a worldview. Just because we carry this title of like, yeah, I'm a churchgoer, doesn't necessarily mean we are like, basically like free from all these other different pressures in society. But I truly believe if we want to be the people of God, we first and foremost have to be convinced by God himself. Because if God isn't who he says he is, why would I give my life to him and follow the things that he says? We got to be convinced by him first. But here's what I know. We live in a society well, we have different pressures that try to bully us around and tell us how we need to have a worldview. Let's talk about first the political pressure, right? That you need to be allegiant to X political party, whatever that political party is, right? There's pressure that you got to box yourself in. We're convinced by that. We feel pressure to be convinced by that. There's social pressure. We live in a day and an age in a society where literally it's like stand up for what you believe in at any cost. Doesn't matter if you burn, you hurt the person's feet, just stand up for what you believe in, and that's good enough. That's a social pressure that bullies us around. It convinces us, and it, it dictates our actions. For some of us in the room, maybe a cultural pressure, a cultural pressure that says, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, but when it comes to being American, I need to be American first. The American becomes first, and it begins to be the God over Jesus. Because we begin to get convinced by these pressures that pressure us into having a worldview. And Jesus is saying, I come first. You got to be convinced by me. 
You can't be convinced and bullied around by all these pressures, what everybody's telling you you need to live by, but you got to actually be convinced by the source. He needs to be the one that drives your worldview, informs you of your beliefs, not being bullied around by the majority of what people tell you you should live by. So this morning, we're looking at some pressures that literally directly threaten the idea of what it means to be faithful to God. Because if you're bullied around by many pressures in our society, you're going to believe being faithful to God looks completely different than what God requires and expects out of your life. You're going to carry a completely different worldview because you're basing your ideology not on the convincing nature of who God is and how he's sending you to be a faithful vessel into every nook and cranny of society to make a massive impact in our world and in our culture. We have a character, and his name is Peter, in this section of scripture. And he lived during a time where it didn't look much different than the society we live in today in terms of the pressures that he was feeling. Tons of political pressure, tons of social pressure, tons of cultural pressure. And it was there to threaten his obedience to God, to get him off course. You actually, this is ex- how you're expected to live. This is how you're supposed to be faithful to God. And it could have drew him off course to what God, the trajectory God was sending him into. How many of you guys know that Jesus wasn't the popular majority in Peter's geography during this time? He wasn't the popular dude. So there was all these other convincing pressures that were trying to convince him out of being a faithful follower of Jesus. But I love it because we're going to see in this story, Peter was convinced. He was convinced by God. No other force or pressure was going to convince him otherwise and what it meant to be faithful to what God told him to do. God creates this convincing mission for his church to find those who are disconnected from Jesus in a complex world. Not comfortable. Not a comfortable way to live as you're outnumbered and connecting people to a worldview that completely looks different than the pressures and the environment that most people are living. And we see this push and this nudge of God's mission continually making his church more and more uncomfortable. But those who would choose to be faithful were following God's game plan, his mission to spread of his good news and once again to transform every nook and cranny of society, to be the bridge to reconcile those who are distant from God's grace, his forgiveness, his love for them, partner those people together with that truth and that reality which changes people from the inside out. So we're going to pray this morning, and we're going to dive into this. And we're going to look, and my prayer this morning is we wouldn't be convinced by the pressures in our society. We're going to believe something. We're going to have a worldview. Man, I want to be partnered with the God of the universe. I want him on my side. I want his ideas in my heart. I don't want other things infiltrating and trying to threaten God being supreme because everything sits under the foothold of Jesus. For those who call upon his name and believe and say they are followers of him, no other idol can threaten that cause because he promises to be successful in this life and carry us into the next. So let's pray this morning. God, we just come before you humbly. And Lord, I pray for a transformative spirit in this place, God, that people would be open to your voice. Lord, there's other, there's other voices. They're going to try to convince people out of your voice and your heart this morning. No, that's not going to happen. No more. Enemy, you trying to distract us from the church, what the church is supposed to be doing in 2019, we're not going to have that. 
Because, Lord, your word says the gates of hell will not prevail against your church and your power. So I pray over every single person because every person in this room has a hope and a purpose and could be a representative of something greater that your world craves for us. So, Lord, let that never be threatened in our heart and our mind this morning as we choose to be your church and not a building. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 11 this morning. So we're picking up this guy, Peter's literally like on mission to bring this other guy into the inside of this Jewish community. These Jews and these Gentiles, right? And Peter's been sent on. Jesus is telling him, hey, we got to bridge the gap. It's not about all the Jews anymore. We're bringing everybody on the inside because we are all going to be God's people. I have reconciled everyone to myself. So Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, let's, let's look at this. It says, the apostles... And the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles, so this is everybody else, also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. See, Jews had this this sign in a patriarchal culture that was a sign of who they were, that they were God's people by something called circumcision. Now, without going into the details of this, right? We understand that this was something that obviously the Jews were beginning to try to force on other people. And basically they're confronting him. Like, you're not being faithful. Peter, you're not being a faithful Jew. There's an accusation. They're questioning his faithfulness to God because he decided to literally sit down at the same table with people that ate different food in which God had forbid for a season. They're questioning whether he's being faithful to God. But this doesn't look much different than a modern-day Peter for us. Political pressure where we question people's faithfulness. Peter, you voted Democrat. Are you still a faithful Christian? You're not circumcised. You're eating with circumcised people and uncircumcised people. Are you faithful? Are you being faithful? There's social pressure. Peter, you didn't share or reshare that quote on Facebook that challenged you to be unashamed of Christ. You didn't reshare it. Are you being faithful? Are you being a faithful Christian? We got, there's all these pressures. It's trying to tell us how to be faithful. Cultural pressure. Peter, it sounds like you're contradicting God in the Old Testament. Right? It sounds like you're contradicting the things that God set up in the Old Testament. You're eating with people that God told you. Are you being faithful? Are you hanging out with people you're not supposed to be hanging out with? Are you being a faithful Christian? We can, we can translate that so easily because we, we feel these pressures all the time. We live in the same world filled with the same types of pressures where people are going to question us based on categories that are man-made. But we need to not be convinced by what people say and expect Christians to be doing That's a subculture of some man-made type of religion that contradicts what did Jesus say? What is his words? What does faithful look like to him? What does he prioritize? What does his life look like? And what does that look like for us today? It's like they're saying, Peter, you went and did something that we don't apparently do. So are you being faithful? You know what's interesting? It wasn't too long ago that People use the Bible to justify racism. Can we just get real for a second? Can we not shy away from some of the painful parts of our history? People would use the Bible to literally justify 
racism. This wasn't too long ago, you guys. Pulled a quote from a guy in 1856, Reverend Thomas Stringfellow. He's a Baptist minister from Culpeper County, Virginia. And he put a pro-slavery Christian message succinctly in his a scriptural view of slavery. And this is what he said. Let's look at this. He says, Jesus Christ recognized this institution, talking about American slavery during this time, as one that was lawful among men and regulated its relative duties. I affirm then, first, and no man denies that Jesus Christ has not abolished slavery by a prohibitory command. And second, I affirm he has introduced a new, no new moral principle which can work its destruction. We have a man on behalf of God using Jesus and the Bible to justify racism. What convinced Christians into that? There obviously were two sides, but it's interesting to think about that. What convinced Christians into that? Maybe a bigger question is, what convinced Christians out of that? Because I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to terms with the fact that the majority in the room wouldn't try to use the Bible to justify the horrendous realities of racism. And some of the trickle of that that still exists systematically in our day and age. See, in the 50s and 60s, even, desegregation was still being opposed for religious reasons, hence the civil rights movement. What convinced Christians out of this? Was it the witness of the majority buying in? Well, everybody else seems to be getting on this bandwagon. Or was it something else? Typically for those who spearhead movements that advocate for God's justice, they're the ones who are saying it's something else. Something bigger than myself. There's a power bigger to communicate and advocate for God's justice. Faithfulness to God can so easily be confused based on man-made pressures. We are not exempt as human beings to give our lives to man-made pressures that advocate for things that are not a part of God's heart and His justice. These Jews were voicing the opinions Peter was well aware of as he counted the cost of extending himself to the other. He realized it. Peter realized that what was that cost here? By him extending himself to somebody that everybody was like, no, can't be with those people, can't eat with them. Why did you do that? He understood the cost and he still followed through with it. Why did he do that? Why did he follow through? It's a great question. And I love this piece of scripture that helps illustrate this. Acts chapter 11. Let's see what happens here. Verse 4 through 17. Big chunk here. Hang with me. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance and saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. He's like, come on, we, we are, we're your people, God. We, we're not supposed to eat all of these, this variety of food that's kind of coming down in this vision, right? Verse 9, the voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. 
He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send a jopper for Simon who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all of your household will be saved. As I began to speak, here it is, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? This is interesting because we see, we see three main elements here of what convinced people, what brought them. What was this recipe literally of Peter saying, I get you got all these pressures. I get you're telling me I'm not being faithful to God, but let me give you a convincing proof. And these convincing proofs, I think three ways kind of represent this section of Scripture really clearly. It'll be up on the screen here. Go to that next slide. Peter's proof versus the pressures of the, 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 the verses that we just read. So first Peter, he makes a claim of God's work. He's like, God did this thing where, you know that same thing that he was doing to us by like filling us with his Holy Spirit? Uh, yeah, we're special and we're God's people, but he started doing that to other people too. He's making a claim, right? There's this personal experience that Peter's having. And then we see the next part. There's a confirmation of God's work. Peter's like, and then I realized God said this was going to happen. Jesus told us this was going to happen. God's word said and affirmed that this was going to happen. And lastly, there was a commission of God's work, God's heart. Peter was commissioned to go to this outsider, to see, to know, but to also be obedient and to be commissioned to be a person connected with God's heart who obviously is pushing us to places to connect those who think, live, act differently. And it's so interesting because out of that equation of those three things, if we pull one of those away, this is where the church can get really, really wonky. Can I just say that? Let's, let's look at a few equations here that I think help us. See, if you, you make a claim on behalf of God that this is God's work, and you go do it, and you're sent by that, but you don't actually take God's word into consideration as the proof of God's heart, what he's revealed through his word, this is when you get really shameful religious behavior. Because you're gung-ho for things that God told you, you're going for it, but it never actually proofs through what God said in his word. So you need all three, but let's take some other examples, right? Okay, let's say that you have a confirmation in God's word, and then, and then you go for it, right? But you don't actually ever have this claim. You never have this personal experience with God. You literally just pick up the Bible as a religious text, and you try to go do what God told you to do, what happens is you're probably going to be a person that's disobedient to God's personal direction because God does not function outside of relationship. He speaks and chooses to speak to each and every one of us. So we can turn our faith and what God's doing into a completely religious textbook to follow the letter of the law and to just go, but we never actually have this life-giving relationship of God speaking, affirming you as a human being that each and every one of us are called uniquely and specifically for his purposes. We can just go off the rails and do whatever we want because we're like, well, God told me I'm going to be the savior of the world. Lastly, we could be a person that we have a claim. We know that we have this experience with God. And we have this confirmation. 
But we use those things without this commission to reach the outsider, like Jesus told us to do. And when we become people that hear from God, experience God, confirm those things in the Bible, but actually never have a heart for other people, this is where we get into prejudices, exclusivity, and inner idolatry. Because we begin to believe that we're the bar of what everybody else should be doing. Critical church guy. That's what this guy represents. Critical church guy where nobody else is good enough, where he excludes everybody else from his little world where he runs and does things perfect. It gets really, really damaging if we don't have the formula that represents all three of what Peter experienced in these verses. Can I just be honest with you this morning? I tried to proof the message this morning through that same criteria. I thought, hey, if we're learning from this, I might as well hold myself to the same, same standard of what are we trying to accomplish here this morning? So let me, let me just let's get underneath the hood a little bit. I was prepping for this message. I was praying, looking through the text, getting rocked by the Lord. And this is, this is, this is, what, this is kind of the way that, that I experienced it this morning. There was a, there's a claim that I, that I came. I came to based on personal experience of what I feel like God's been speaking in this season for our church and for this, where we're going, right? Here's, here's the personal claim that I feel like the Lord was speaking. I believe God wants us to be thinking about and inviting those not in the room yet. I truly believe that. I believe God's called us to be a church that thinks about that. There's people that are supposed to be a part of this family that are, aren't in the room yet. Jesus' heart, it seems like he's prioritizing that throughout the gospel, right? So I thought, man, man, there's people that are disconnected, that need to get connected into this family filled with grace and love and led by Jesus, right? The confirmation, God's word, is what I love. This section of scripture shows us God's heart. And he shows us the obstacle in accomplishing that. Us. We are. We're the ones that get in the way of God accomplishing what he needs to accomplish. Because we begin to get convinced by all sorts of different pressures other than him. And lastly, the commission. God's heart. Here's, here's our commission for us this morning. Let's be convinced by God first so we can be better ministers of reconciliation and actually do the mission of God. Let's begin to define what it means to be faithful to God in that way. What does it mean to be faithful to God? It means to be faithful to his mission, to chase after the things that he's prioritized that come from him as supreme and primary in our lives. Everything else comes under submission to that. And for us to say, okay, God, my life is not my own, but I'm convinced by you that I'm going to do your work and I'm going to be commissioned to reconcile those who are disconnected and lead with a posture of love in the same way you did when you died a brutal death for us. So let's move on to the last verse. Acts chapter 11, 18 for this morning. It says this. Peter gives, him the, gives the equation, right? He's like, okay, I had this experience. Remember, Jesus told us this was going to happen. And now, I actually, that's the reason why I did what I did. That's the reason why you were saying I wasn't being faithful, and I'm telling you I was being faithful. 
because God has called me and us as the church to be reconcilers. And this is their response. When they heard this, they had no further objections. They're like, okay. And they praise God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They were convinced by God. I don't know about you, when I look at like division, I look at like heated, like two sides, I'm like, what, what convinces people? What changes people's minds? Like, if I'm somebody on this side screaming to somebody on this side or vice versa, like, when I see a story or I see something end where there was division, where there was pressures, where there was a society, where it's actually human life, a story that we're being given, and we actually see two very loaded sides come reconcile to one another. I don't know about you, but I want to take a lot of notes. But it's interesting. The thing that convinced people was them being convinced by God. Saying, I'm being faithful to God. If this is what God is doing, then I'm in. If this is what the higher power that's going to unify people that are maybe categorized in one area or categorized in the other or whatever labels we want to throw on human beings, and there's a ton, there's stereotypes all over the place where we just label and kind of shove people away sometimes without actually having face-to-face with them. But Jesus is saying, actually, you got to be convinced by me. I'm the convincing factor. And he doesn't force anybody. Isn't that crazy? He doesn't force you as a human being You have your own free will. Will meaning that you get to make your own decisions regardless if you believe God is king or not. And Jesus is saying, I desperately invite you to use that free will to understand I'm inviting you to a life and to live in a way that's actually going to solve the problems of the world. But are you convinced by me? Are you convinced by man-made structures or man-made devices that threaten our obedience to Jesus first. Each and every one of us has to come to that conclusion and that decision. And then out of this text and section of Scripture, we see people that lived in such a divide and what God was doing, but got on board because they realized this is what God is up to. This is what they were convinced by. They left the political pressures, the social pressures, the cultural pressures behind, and they literally were convinced by God, and they received a new clarity on what it meant to be faithful to Jesus. Their faithfulness was a direct reflection of God first. What does it mean to be faithful when it feels like maybe you're in a season where you don't have home court advantage? Some of us are in seasons right now where it's really painful. It's really difficult. So it's crazy. You get into a room with human beings, and you know what? There's a wide variety of what we're bringing, real life. Some of us had a great week last week. Some of us had horrible weeks. Let's just, let's just be real. Let's just relate on a human level right now. But I love it. Because you know what Jesus, you know what he says? You know what his claim is about good or bad, 
up and down seasons, deserts or mountaintops. I believe this. There's a claim that God makes, and it gets thrown around many times in, in our religious circles that God hasn't left you. He hasn't left you. He's with you. I just want to make that claim with you this morning. But for you, it might end with kind of a claim. What, what does God's word say about it? Can we proof that, right? Can we proof that through a confirmation? The confirmation I see in the scriptures is that God said that suffering was a part of this. We're not exempt from suffering. We're not exempt from hard seasons. We're not exempt from feeling like we're distant from God in times, feeling like there's times where we're questioning, God, are you there? Man, you read through the Psalms in the Bible, and it's like, literally, it's like people that are just continually crying out to God, like, where are you? God, where are you? I love that the Bible's not like distant of like, hey, flowers and happy things, and we're just going to skate through life, and everything's going to be cheery. You're reading, you're cherry picking positive verses from the Bible, trying to affirm a reality that's not true in the human experience. God's real. He sees those moments. He sees the humanity, the struggle, the hard parts. He says he doesn't want, he's never going to leave you, but he also says, you know what? There's going to be hard moments. But here's, here's his commission. He equips you. He equips you to be a difference maker no matter what season you're walking in, no matter how big you are, no, how, no matter how small you view yourself, no matter your gift mix, no matter your personality, no matter your gender, come on, somebody. He confirms and he commissions to say, just because you're having a bad day does not mean that you don't have purpose because I'm working it out. I'm working out the bad, I'm working out the good, and I'm going to allow whatever that looks like, there's going to be resolve, and it's going to be used for my glory to bring people who are disconnected from me and partner them with the power, the presence, the authority, the abundant life that Jesus sees for each and every one of us. He doesn't want us to stay where we are, but he calls us to newer places. He calls us to continually journey with him. We have not made it. If we view Christianity as this arrival point, we've missed it. Because there's suffering to come. There's experiences to come. Continually learning under the lordship and the, literally the teacher, the rabbi of Jesus. And he promises us, whether it's good or bad, whatever, whatever is in front of us, he's going to use us anyway. No matter who you are, he chooses to use you. In the meantime, even when it feels like your life is a mess. Peter, 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 you went and did something that you're not supposed to do. You went and did something that we as Jewish people don't apparently do. Are you faithful? Are you being faithful? Are you being faithful to God? For some of us in the room, our vision for God, our God frame, it's hard for us to grasp because we're saying the same thing to God. You went and did something you apparently don't do. Jesus, you came. You came into our neighborhood. You came into our sphere. You came into our realm called earth. And you came and you died for us. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because naturally we are people that are the most critical of ourselves 
And it's hard for us to find forgiveness when we're being self-reflective. But there's a God who came, sees you, affirms you, died for you, was unlawfully murdered for you, suffered for you. But you're saying God doesn't do that. But today, let me remind you of the faithfulness of God. Yes, he does. He did it. And when he did that, he reminds the entire world how faithful of a God he truly is. So this morning, you may be a non-church person, and I want to challenge you. Are you convinced by God today? You might have created your own ideas about God, and that might be based on man-made structures. That might be based on bad church experiences. That might be based on pressures that you felt when it comes to Christian culture or things where you're like, I don't fit in. But God, be convinced by God today. He sees you. He affirms you. He loves you. He died for you. He knows you. He knows every hair on your head, designed you with a craft and a purpose to have hope and understand that your life connected with his is, is, is the biggest flourishment of purpose in the human experience. Let that transform your viewpoint of God. Do not box God in and have a small viewpoint of God. You may be a person, I haven't been to church in a long time. Maybe your vision has been clouded by man-made pressures when Jesus is saying, be convinced by me this morning. And maybe you're a church person in here. You've been connected with the body of Christ, church for a long time. But I challenge you for the same thing. Are you convinced by God today? Him is supreme. Not the, not the pressures. Not the social, not the cultural, not the political. Are you literally submitted first and foremost and convinced that why you have breath in your lungs for the purpose on this earth is because God has designed you to be on mission, to be the light in the darkness, to be the salt of the earth. We're trying to make things salty. Come on, somebody. So here's our application. If you are convinced by God today, then you are convinced by God to do. We talked about this last week, mind, heart, feet, repeat. There's a disconnect sometimes where we just, we leave, we stop. We can have an experience like we are this morning. God's speaking to your mind. God's transforming your mind. You learned something about God this morning. God's speaking to your mind, but it could just stay here. But it needs to transition to our heart. We need to develop a heart where it says, okay, God, you're prioritized. I have a heart for all people. I literally, I have a heart and understand that if you forgave even the most heinous people, God, you're trying to develop that within me. But once again, we could be people and, and, and church people that are like, we're warm and fuzzy, having a party together. But it needs to transition to our feet. There's, there's no, Jesus never separates those two things. It's literally two sides of the same coin. If you love me, then you're going to do the things that I've called you to do. If there's a disconnect, if those are two, two separate coins for you this morning, God is challenging you. Because if you're convinced by him, if you literally are convinced by God, man, you are going to be convinced to not let it just stay up here, stay in here, but it's going to literally translate to your feet to take steps towards him. That you are called, have a purpose. God sees you, loves you. But are we convinced by him and him alone today? Can we pray this morning?